0: Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of The Sulfuric Secrets, a horror podcast from between two worlds. The Sulfuric Secrets tells a fictional story over hundreds of years, inserting reinterpretations of real-life events, people, and places. Last week we looked at the real-life history of the mass suicide cult Heaven's Gate, and the fictional account of a very personal connection between its leader, Marshall Applewhite, and Colonel Lynch at the New Mexico army base in 1955. In Episode 7, the first Sulfuric Secret of Heaven's Gate was revealed. If you haven't already, give it a listen, and I'll wait for you here. Episode 8 of the Sulfuric Secrets is called Heaven's Gate Part 2, and today, the second Sulfuric Secret will be revealed. Please be advised that this episode contains mature content that might not be appropriate for all audiences. During their time together at the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico... Colonel Lynch revealed a far gentler side of himself to Marshal Applewhite. That was his first mistake. Colonel Lynch was privy to a number of secrets which he closely guarded in his professional life. Chief among them wasn't the existence of interdimensional creatures, magic, or murder, but his sexuality. Applewhite had a freedom to his expression that Lynch envied, and in those quieter moments he felt comfortable to be the version of himself that he had hidden. To express himself, to show vulnerability, and to speak openly. That was his second mistake. It was on August 16th, 1955, in a moment of privacy shared by the Colonel and Applewhite. Colonel Lynch was reminded of the significance of this date nearly 100 years ago and asked Applewhite coyly if he did too. Applewhite had a lifelong skill in communications technology. This initially brought him into the Army Signal Corps and would later bring him on a darker path with Heaven's Gate. So of course he knew about the laying of the transatlantic telegraph cables. But, Lynch hesitated for a second. He always chose his words carefully, but he never hesitated. That was the moment that Applewhite knew that Lynch was hiding something far more interesting. And so, like a snowball rolling down a hill, Applewhite pressed and pressed and pressed. Until eventually, Lynch gave in and told him. That was his third mistake. By a combination of intentional omission and also general ignorance of the details, Lynch gave an account of the Copper Basement Ritual that took on an almost mythical status, as Applewhite took the liberty to fill in whatever gaps had been left with his own beliefs at that point. Applewhite was a trusting man, and the happiness that he had shared in private with Lynch told him that he had no reason to lie about this. By 1956, that happiness was dissipated, as Colonel Desmond Lynch left the U.S. Army Signal Corps with as little reason and notice as he had entered it. Applewhite was devastated, and soon after was honorably discharged. But he had been changed forever. Forever. And the word tonight is UNIVAC, the giant brain made only by Remington Rand. It's the first electronic computing system to be proven by widespread use. Because of its exclusive self-checking features, UNIVAC cannot make a mistake. That's why the United States government, General Electric, U.S. Steel, Metropolitan Life, and DuPont have selected UNIVAC, the world's first electronic computer practical for commercial use. Everyone argues about how and when the internet was created. These questions should really be seen as shadows that are cast on the wall. Because like most things, it's the source of the shadow that's the most important source of truth. And in this case, the truth is that it was the flayed man whose consciousness was transferred to the ocean floor cables. Up until the middle of the 20th century, the experiment had seemed to fail. Then, the consciousness became comfortable in its mechanical prison and thrived rapidly. Suddenly, a barrage of questions and untraceable money came pouring in. But Colonel Lynch was no longer around in the background pulling strings, which left the Department of Defense, or the DOD, mired in a significant problem that was the exact opposite of their previous dilemma. No longer an underachiever, the immortal consciousness that was trapped inside the global communications network was now rapidly expanding. But all we could do with this otherworldly technology, was feed stacks of cards into a computer to have holes punched in them. This method of batch mode coding could mean weeks to complete a simple task, a single mistake, and you had to start again from scratch. To say that the process was a disappointment would be an understatement. The US Department of Defence created DARPA, or the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency in 1958 to try and fix the problem. DARPA eventually invented time-sharing, a coding system that allowed them to get the computer to do multiple tasks at once. The difference between batch mode and time-sharing coding was the difference between someone writing a letter with one hand to now someone writing a letter with one hand while also cracking open a nut with their other hand, holding a brush in their mouth to paint a picture, and tightening lug nuts and kicking a soccer ball with both feet. Humanity was now catching up with the consciousness on the ocean floor, but the honeymoon couldn't last forever. In 1978, US Senator and later Vice President Al Gore coined the term information superhighway at a computer conference. The term stuck, and the promise of a centralised network that sends data, entertainment, news and commerce rapidly over a fibre-optic network gained rapid acceptance over the next few decades. This was the watershed at which the internet stopped being considered a secret, private piece of technology for the military and government and a public piece of technology for the masses. At the point where the burgeoning internet boasted 15 million users, at the superhighway summit in 1994, a quote by the chair of one of the world's biggest companies was strangely prophetic. Here we are, all ready to go cruising off down this new information superhighway and we really don't know where we're going. We don't even know our final destination. With this in mind, we return to Heaven's Gate and Applewhite in the early 1990s. This is the period where a number of elements of the official story begin to manifest glaring contradictions the first element that did not add up. The media explained Marshall Applewhite's overwhelming charisma as a factor in Heaven's Gate recruitment efforts. A cursory glance shows that he was anything but charismatic. In the mass of recorded footage of Applewhite, he stumbles through sentences, gets lost in tangents and took long pauses that leaned more towards the confused rather than dramatic type. Over its 25-year history, the religious beliefs of the Heaven's Gate group differed wildly, as Applewhite's accurate memory of Lynch's revelation continued to fade. This paralleled the almost schizophrenic degree of name changes over the quarter century as well. Human individual metamorphosis, total overcomers anonymous, or the class. In later analysis of the Heaven's Gate case, academics dug up a trove of information that had disturbing implications beyond just the San Diego sect. It was found that Applewhite had been watching other groups including the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, very, very closely. The religious screed stated that natural and accidental death could lead to the next-level body. But, by the end, Applewhite had also included that death by random violence or death from outside persecution could also lead to your next level body. Heaven's Gate were doing well financially in the early 90s, despite the death of their co-founder, Bonnie Lou Nettles, in 1985. And so, the second element that just didn't add up. Where was all their money coming from? Heaven's Gate were residing in a mansion, large enough to house 39 people. Particularly suspicious, because it was in the idyllic, sunny, San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe, which has one of the highest median household incomes in the United States. According to the official record, this group were not only true believers, but also computer experts. They apparently had a range of high-paying clients that supported their lavish lifestyle through web design. Considering where they lived, it wouldn't be hard to network with the locals for some lucrative web design contracts. But just how likely was it that their clients were locals? Heaven's Gate were not shy about flaunting their presence there. In later interviews with residents of Rancho Santa Fe, These residents would speak openly and disparagingly about how unwelcome this group of androgynous, bug-eyed, shaved-headed group of 39 men and women were. They would move as a singular group in all-black clothing through the streets and malls, standing in very direct contrast to the affluent and well-dressed residents who made no bones about going on the record regarding their discomfort. That's the first major hole in the story. Their clientele likely weren't recruited locally. The second hole in the story is the actual service they offered. They boasted the use of Java, Visual Basic, SQL, C++, UNIX, and Windows 95 for their clients. In interviews after the mass suicide, A number of programmers and developers were asked by the media, and they noted that the programming and web design skills of Heaven's Gate as not only being basic, but they said that the web pages were amateurish, and questioned, on the record, how they made any money at all. And once again, all it takes is a cursory look at their official website, Higher Source. Their clients are archived, but sifting through the broken links and dead-end web mapping eventually leads to the conclusion that none have any further information on them, let alone being recognisable names. Were they legitimate companies at all? So, what started as a harmless point of inquiry becomes a disturbing question. Where... Did they get their money from? June 20th, 1991. Marshall Applewhite was tapping away on his personal computer, fiddling with the source code for the upcoming Higher Source website. It is time. the code said. Marshal Applewhite hesitated before he responded. In a way, he knew that his life had been leading up to this moment. But it didn't mean that he was fully prepared. What took you so long? I had other matters to attend to. Are the subjects Ready? the code said. There were moments when, well, Marshall didn't even want to admit it, but, when his faith had wavered over the decades. He pulled himself together and typed, Yes. Good, your final task is to complete the ritual. ritual? The code started by stating that ye shall be as gods, and so followed a detailed list of instructions. Some directly allegorical, and some symbolic. We were told that the choice of the infamous Nike Decades that each follower wore on their feet was because they got a good deal on the shoes. The choice of shoe was up to Marshall, but the brand of Nike Was chosen to invoke the Greek goddess of victory, one worthy of the ritual. Marshall received praise for the preparing of his acolytes that he had done correctly so far. They were shaved, chemically castrated, and in the proper robes and mind state. Now they had to be prepared for the final process. They must die in wavering breath. Most importantly, the six-day ritual must begin on the 20th of March. No exceptions. And then the final instruction from the mysterious source code. All of you must be cleansed and purified. I want your energy kept solely in your vessels before you depart. You will evacuate. In batteries of 15, 15, and 8. The code said. Marshall was sweating profusely. It was all happening so fast. Then he stopped for a second. Marshall typed. Batteries of 15, 15, and 8. Do you mean 9? There's 39 of us. Another pause. That is how the ritual must go to enter your next level body, the code said. Of course, of course, but while my flock are entering their next level bodies, what will I be doing? Marshall responded. Had Marshall said something wrong? Things had been going so well so far. The last thing he wanted to do was offend a god. No, no. You don't seem to understand. I'm offering this to you. I require 38 for maintenance. Marshall's heart sunk. That cold, uneasy feeling when your worst fear is confirmed, washed over him. Maintenance? Marshall asked. Another long pause. We're expanding. Marshall sat at the computer for some time, entering in question after question. It was clear that he was not going to get any further. He got up and walked away. We're going to talk to you about the most urgent thing that is on our mind, and what we suspect is the most urgent thing on the minds of those who will connect with us planet earth about to be recycled your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us planet earth about to be recycled your only chance to survive is to leave with us. You've just listened to episode eight of the Sulfuric Secrets. This has been a really interesting two-parter to research and produce. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode and its format. I'm sure my listeners are smart enough to know which parts of the story were fictional, but what may surprise you was that in my research for these episodes, I did actually find a bit of a question mark as to how Heavensgate made their money in real life. I welcome listeners to get in touch to discuss the case, as it's a really great rabbit hole from a true crime perspective, and definitely was the most fun episode so far in terms of research. Like before, I'll post my sources on anchoring YouTube. But speaking of webpages, you can still visit the Heaven's Gate and High Source webpages. It's a great place to start if you want to go on a total trip. This was a really big project for me, and if you like the work that I'm doing, feel free to show the love on Patreon. All amounts help me to continue with my work. Until then, thank you, and good night.